Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. As often as the case, today's episode is inspired by comments left on our YouTube channel, the Self Healer Soundboard, and on our Instagram account, also the Self Healer Soundboard. As many of you listeners are becoming conscious of the different habits and patterns that we are, most of us are reliving day in and day out, I'm noticing a lot of criticism is coming up. So, and I often hear Jenna and I talk about on these episodes, this idea of practicing compassion. So I thought what better time than to dive into a conversation on compassion. Compassion is a necessity in our healing, and it also happens to be the first thing that we all throw out the window. (laughs) And most of us have spent most of our lives living without a conscious intention of compassion or even living without an awareness, let alone an embodiment of compassion, let alone for ourselves. So we specifically want to kind of rear everyone back in. And for those of you who are listening, maybe already having physical feelings or sensations coming up just about this topic alone, um, I really welcome you to, to be present, to take a deep breath, to really allow yourself to be curious and explore your own current relationship with compassion and with your possible lack of self-compassion. So as I often do, if you've listened to past episodes, I love to define um, some of these words, these concepts. Mainly for me, it's of interest. What is the working definition of some of these things that we try and explore in terms of what Jenna is saying very beautifully, an embodiment of. And so when I looked up compassion, turns out compassion is defined as an awareness or an understanding of the suffering. Usually it's of another person with the desire or felt desire to relieve that suffering, to make that person feel better. And of course, we're going to first take the angle, as we often do, of the practice of self-compassion. And you know, I think we are of the belief here that before we can extend that really truly and authentically to another person, we really have to embody that practice within ourselves first. And this, of course, I'm speaking to a lot of us out there who might feel it's easier to be compassionate toward another being before ourselves. But again, the question really is, is what what are we feeling in that moment? Is that true compassion? Is that true awareness of someone else's suffering? Which really, again, in my opinion, at least, only is possible when we first become aware of our own suffering and then, of course, extend ourselves that desire to relieve it or to feel better. I didn't look up the definition of compassion, though. I did look up the opposite of compassion, which for those of us who may not be able to relate to compassion, mm-hmm. um, we only know something because we also have known or experienced its opposite. And the opposite of compassion actually shows up as heartless, inhuman, merciless, cold-hearted, And what I love so much about that is that the opposite of this thing that we're calling compassion or self-compassion is literally inhuman or heartless, without heart. And that gives me so much hope and 
really so much immediate access to compassion because it gives me the perspective that compassion isn't something out there in the world that I'm searching for or that I'm trying to pluck from thin air and try on. Compassion is actually a state of being. It's actually an aligned state of being of my true and authentic self. And when I speak of my true authentic self as Jenna, I'm speaking to my true authentic self as a human, as this spiritual essence that is me, that same common thread and humanity that also runs through each and every one of us here on this earth. So for those of you who may struggle with compassion, or as we go through the rest of this podcast episode and you sort of get curious and assess what your relationship, your true honest relationship with compassion and self-compassion is, I urge you to just keep in the, your back pocket, in the back of your mind, that compassion is a state of being and it's your core state of being that you already are. So it's a matter of turning inward and tuning into ourselves rather than trying to grab something or become something that we think is external and out there that we currently are not. I love many things about what you're saying. Um, I love, Jenna, how you are such a constant reminder for me of that kind of opposition, right? The only real way we know something like you're saying is through knowing it's opposite. And that for me is such a profound um, piece of information. And then of course, a lived experience. And I also really love how you're highlighting. Um, and again, I'm in agreement that we are all in our heart when we're connected to that. It is natural to want to, just focusing on that last part of the definition, to want to relieve the suffering of someone else. And again, probably a lot of you listeners have heard us talk about this idea um, or a suggestion to focus on the similarities. And this is mainly what even this you know, podcast is based around, us sharing our different experiences, though, that, again, come from a similar core. And when you're really able to embody that, it's then natural that you know, if I see so much of me in you, Jenna, when I see pain and suffering of whatever kind it is, you know, of course, from that heart-centered place, it's a natural desire to want to relieve that. And so going back into the process first of, well, how do we embody a self-compassionate action way of being with ourselves first? And I think this is where it's a little counterintuitive. The first step of the process is to embody the pain that we're feeling. And of course, I'm speaking to all of you out there who resonate with aspects of my own journey, which really was a disembodiment or a disconnection and really using for me the external world or other people and how I imagined they wanted or needed me to show up as a point of that disconnection. And so to put it really simply, not really knowing how to be in my own person, in my own emotions, to be in the suffering that I'm feeling. And, and instead, I was that person who felt like, oh, I'm compassionate to everyone else. But really, I wasn't being compassionate to everyone else because if I was really being honest, I was so disconnected from my own suffering that I can't actually then extend that to another human, no matter mm -hmm. how much I intentionally want to or care or think I love them. I saw it as a badge of honor when I was younger to have compassion for others and to not give that compassion to yourself. And my mother is, uh, many of you have heard me speak of her. She, you know, struggles with her own turbulence and addiction and destruction and wounding of her own childhood that has led into her now adulthood. And through all of that, 
the one word and the one thing that I remember her teaching me as a child was literally the word compassion. That's the first word I ever learned how to spell. It became my favorite word, compassion, and then serenity. (laughs) And it's so interesting even just hearing you talk now, Nicole, because compassion to me was such an embodiment of her. It meant selfless. It meant giving. It was this massive heart that would do anything in the world to help someone else. And what I didn't see and couldn't view at the time was that there was any sort of self involved in compassion. It lived solely to me as compassion for another, generosity for another, love and kindness and soothing for another. There was in no way an idea or a knowing or a reality at all that there was any sort of core being that that compassion extended from. I love that you're bringing that up, Jenna, and want to share, you know, a very similar experience with my own mom, who for a very long time and many years, I would have thought very similarly. Here you have this selfless woman who's you know, continuously showing up in service of other people to relieve, you know, their pain and suffering. I knew at my core, you know, even in moments where my mom would see me nervous about, um, one of the things that comes to mind a lot is I had a lot of anxiety anytime I needed to decline, um, events or plans with a friend. And this is when I was younger. And I remember my mom, you know, was very aware of me being nervous that I had to tell, you know, my my friend Kristen, that I couldn't come over on Saturday or what have you. And, you know, from that very well-intentioned place, she would sit there with me and kind of rehearse, you know, what I was going to say to Kristen. That was usually a white lie of some sort about why I couldn't go. And so, again, it was all these little moments where I created, again, a very similar narrative of my mom, you know, showing up in service of, in that moment in particular, relieving me of the suffering of my anxiety. And again, not realizing until much later, much more recently, of how my mom was so disconnected from her own self um, that she, you know, in terms of the conversation we're having, um, she wasn't embodied in terms of her own suffering. So to truly understand the suffering of another person, right, that implies that we ourselves have sat in whatever that feeling is, or we have had the experience that we can, you know, refer back to or embody back to of that resonance. So, Without that, you know, very similarly to how you're describing your mom, you know, my mom didn't have that ability. So even in that moment of her trying to relieve the suffering of my anxiety, um, she wasn't really sitting, right, necessarily in that experience of how I was feeling about whatever it was that was happening. And so again, when I when we see comments and we have this conversation of, well, how do I practice, right, self compassion? The first step of course, as always, is that embodiment of the self, that space that we create so that we can begin to tune into our emotions, our feelings, and our embodied experience of our life and all its complexity. I think and really believe the actual act of simply being, instead of doing something, being some kind of adjective, being some sort of expression, just actually literally being. Everyone who's listening and watching right now, pausing and just being, being in your mind, being in your physical body, being in this present moment. 
If you've done that right there or right now and pause and put your hand on your heart and feel your heartbeat and just allow yourself to be as simple as that is, that in itself is the embodiment of compassion. You first just being with yourself, allowing and acknowledging yourself to know that it's seen, it's there, and it will be cared for. You don't have to have a a bullet-pointed list or all of these steps one through five of how to begin practicing compassion or really many of the tools that we talk about. You instead have to choose and be willing to actually pause in the present moment and simply be, knowing that who you're being with is yourself. That acknowledgement of self in itself is compassion. It is the thing and the being that then emanates from you. So beautifully put. And in that state of being right with ourself in the presence of, say, another person, if we're having a conversation about extending compassion now to someone else, that in and of itself for a lot of us relieves suffering. The idea and the felt experience of not being alone in our own pain, even getting chills as I'm saying this, for those of us who didn't have that attuned parent, that person who could you know, allow us to be in our feeling and just embody that space next to us in a compassionate way, to then take that next step of right the desire to relieve one's suffering, for some of us, that is the relief knowing that we're not alone, feeling that other person truly being there with us, just as we have practiced being with ourselves in those moments, can translate to that relief that we're talking about, that idea that I don't have to be alone. Because I think that a lot of us, we compound our suffering with this idea, and for many of us, the lived experience of being alone in that suffering. And, and when we don't, when we have the opportunity to have an attuned human who can just hold that space for us and with us, there might not have to be that gesture of action. There might not have to be anything that necessarily comes next in terms of an action step. For some of us, that in and of itself might be the step that relieves the suffering for that person. And we feel alone because we feel shame, as Nicole, you shared with your mom. And I see very much the same with my mom. There was no attunement to my emotions. There was not an ability to hold space for that because she wasn't attuned to her own. She wasn't holding that space for her own. She wasn't being or embodying compassion for herself. It was constantly an external extension outward. And while it comes from, you know, the level of consciousness that she was at or is at, that intention was pure for her. It was that selfless act of love and of giving in many ways that falls short because it wasn't genuinely extended from the root of her. And if, if this is sounding a little confusing, I'll give you an example that really stuck with me. Um, from my brother, Jake, who many of you have heard me talk about, died in November um, from addiction, which heavily involves a lot of shame. And self-compassion is something that he struggled with immensely. Self-compassion being the compassion that we're speaking of right now, the embodiment of compassion at the core of ourselves first versus this external act of selfless giving and love that we give someone else. So at Jake's funeral, his um, the chef or the owner of the restaurant that he had been most recently working at gave my mother a 
his work application. And he gave it to her because he had never seen an application so so detailed and so intently filled out. And Jake was a writer. He was a poet. He was a mystic in many ways. And the last question on this application said, you know, tell me something about your family. And Jake wrote a long paragraph. I don't have it memorized, but he spoke with great pride, you know, about my mother raising us as a single mom who had multiple jobs. My brother, who is incredibly talented, my twin brother, Josh, who was also a chef. His sister, me, who wrote a book and was doing all of this work with Nicole, he was very proud of all that we did. And he ended it with, you know, while I'm so proud of them, I only wish that they could love themselves the way I love them, or I wish that they could find this love that they have for others and give that love to themselves. And it felt and still feels so ironic reading that for the first time especially at his funeral, because Jake was the one person who could extend so much love outward and lacked it so profoundly for himself. And I bring up his addiction because this is all in that world, that addiction, that shame. Where is shame coming in? Anywhere you're needing compassion, likely there is shame there. There is loneliness. There is an isolation. Most people who struggle with addiction greatly, greatly struggle with this idea that they're even worthy of being compassionate to themselves, let alone another being being compassionate with them. So we continue to just berate ourselves and really ridicule ourselves and rip ourselves apart until we have actually become the ones responsible of completely obliterating our own sense of self and our own sense of self-worth coming from a childhood where it was never validated that we were seen, that we were worthy, and that we were loved. I appreciate, Jenna, as you often do, um, speaking so readily and vulnerably about Jake and his experience, um, knowing how much that resonates with a lot of you listeners out there. So much so that, again, it prompted this, this episode in so many ways. So whether or not, you know, whatever it is that you're viewing or witnessing in and of yourself, whatever those patterns are, as we're talking about, right, the first step is really embodying all of the feelings, coming back into yourself and allowing everything that's there to be what's there. And then if we really want to apply that second piece of the definition, right, the, the desire to then relieve, let's focus on first and foremost, our own suffering, right, the 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 step we can action and take into doing that um, is what all of you are even doing right here listening, right? It's committing to showing up in those small ways, different ways. We can relieve our own suffering by creating change in our life so that that suffering doesn't have to continue into the future. So when we're extending that compassion to ourselves, for some of us, again, that means changing the way that we're showing up in the world, beginning to, you know, factor in the self that is us in terms of our relationships and our external environment. Um, it's compassionate for a lot of us at times to, you know, begin to create limits or boundaries um, so that we do have that space to begin to relieve ourselves of that suffering by creating a new pattern. And for a lot of us, that pattern is factoring the self in, discovering, right? Where do I 
begin and end so that I can learn how to take care of myself in a compassionate way. And of course, then applying this to someone else, I think this is a really important conversation to have back to this concept of selfless. A lot of us, I think, confuse compassion, right? And if we can feel compassionate for where we're at or where someone else is at, I think some of us use that to overstep our own boundaries in this idea of selfless service, to not really, you know, kind of define where our limits, where our resources extend to, and to stand in that space. We kind of argue away what we need because, again, for many different reasons, but mainly because we want to distract ourselves or we've learned, again, to focus on someone else. So, again, I think it's really important to understand that you know, compassion is embodying what we're feeling and then the desire, the action of relieving that suffering, which for a lot of us means changing the way that we're showing up. And for some of us, that means refocusing first on what we need in any given moment. Even if we do want to be compassionate to another person, if our resources aren't available to us in that moment, then the most compassionate thing we can do is to you know, live by the limits that we're actually experiencing and feeling. Very few of us have harnessed the power or ability to be really real with ourselves and to really call ourselves out or sit in the sheer discomfort and physical discomfort of someone else calling us out. I know anytime I am told something that, you know, ruffles my feathers or burns my chest or infuriates me, I pay extra attention to that because usually that's the thing, that's the wounding, that's the trigger. There's some nugget of gold in there that is desperately searching for my time and my attention and my presence. And reading that job application of Jake's and seeing him say, him who I'm putting into the ground a few moments from that point, say, I only wish that my family would learn to love themselves. Felt like, I I genuinely think I laughed. I think I probably said a few curse words towards Jake and was like, are you freaking serious? You're the one dead right now. And at the same time, as Jake would have it, in this macro higher sense of what I believe and know his whole being and existence and essence is, even after his death, was that moment to teach me. He was right. I didn't truly love myself. I'm still actively working on authentically loving myself. And to say that as someone who runs a business on healing, on teaching, loving yourself and self-love and compassion is probably the most transparent thing and the most healing and empowering thing that I could do even for myself. Because we get in this idea that as we cruise through our healing and we look at our shadows and we create new patterns and we begin to show up differently, then of course we're being compassionate. Of course we're practicing this self-love. And we less often really allow ourselves to rawly and truthfully call ourselves out on our own reality is that somewhere deep inside for me personally, there is a long lived belief that I am not lovable. I am not worthy. I am not seen. 
I come from the exact same environment and same childhood that Jake did. And yet, until I read that job application at his funeral, I genuinely was thinking, okay, well, I know I love myself. I practice self-love. I teach self-love. And it smacked me in the face so hard reading his words because it was a teaching even after his death for me to really wake up inside and realize the intensity and the impactfulness and the importance really of actually beginning to crumble all of the definitions and context of everything that I had ever learned and instead close my eyes and truly go inward and think about, well, what do I believe compassion is? My whole life I've been giving, I've been volunteering. I have this massive heart of gold. Has that always been genuine? Well, at my current state of consciousness, yeah, it always felt genuine. And I'll be the first one to say upon reflection, so many moments of that giving, of that volunteering, of these selfless acts were completely selfish because they weren't from genuine compassion. They were from a space of wanting to displace my own pain, my own past, and wanting to feel good, wanting to make someone else feel good so I didn't have to deal with the fact that deep within my soul and within my heart, I felt the polar opposite of good. I felt wounded. I felt abandoned. I felt dark and I felt sad. So to kind of share uh, my own personal recent experience of, you know, embodying the the pain right before we can even get to relieving myself of pain, I had an experience recently where, you know, due to circumstances, I was feeling a hurt um, in my life, in our relationship. And as a result of that hurt, you know, I wasn't able to see at the time, though, in time, what I noticed or what I came to be aware that I was doing was I was doing exactly as I learned to do when when I feel angry or hurt. Um, at the core of a lot of our anger is hurt. And exactly what I do is I make someone else hurt as a result. I pull away, I ice, I become very passive aggressive. Um, and as I came to that awareness, right, I had this kind of fork in the road where my one option was to go down that really critical shaming, like, oh, Nicole, again, like Jenna just said, here you are, you know, teaching these things yet in these really critical moments, you're not embodying, you know, what you're teaching. You're not doing the work, um, as we say. So I could have went down, you know, as I saw in the comments that inspired this episode, that critical shame spiral. And when we're there, you know, when we talk about relieving suffering or moving forward, that's really not possible. And, you know, very much inspired by you, Jen, I got curious. And what I came to realize and I made space for in that moment was the little girl in myself who never learned, who never had a model of how to deal in a healthy way with anger. And then furthermore, of how to repair or how to come back into connection once you feel hurt by someone that you love. And, you know, I very much mirrored what I learned, which is this idea that, you know, we shame, we push someone else away, we ice them. And then when we're back and ready, you know, life just kind of continues on as if it never happened. So I lost out on a lot of critical learning. And so instead of being critical and continuing to live in that self-judgment, which would only keep me more trapped in then the cycle, what I do when I feel judgmental, I'm really learning, you know, in real time how to make space and how to be curious and how to understand, you know, why I was behaving the way that I was. And then in that moment, 
do exactly what we're talking about. Begin to practice, you know, allowing space for the compassion, for that understanding. And then that in and of itself creates the opportunity to make a new choice somewhere in the future, to, you know, catch myself the next time a little closer to in real time when it's happening and gift myself that opportunity of a new choice and a new future. I love, as always, this idea and concept of choice. And I realized that what I learned was that when you're hurting, you help another. When you're suffering, you go and help someone else. Someone always has it worse than you. Be grateful for what you have. The grass is always greener. I could find the silver lining in anything. I can find an optimistic take on anything. I can just innately have a glass half full. And I've really started to question the authenticity of all of that and where it's really rooted from because while I've been this, you know, little optimistic light being my entire life, who who you see me as as Jenna now is literally who everyone has always known me as. I'm the same from when I was a child to now. And only now am I really beginning to uncover while there's aspects of myself and personality that I love and am really grateful for, I also see the survival mechanism that they came from and the inauthenticity that they come from where I really was raised in this belief of, you know, it wasn't that silence or icing like you experienced, though it was no matter how turbulent and chaotic and abusive and neglectful things are, someone always has it worse. You know, you might not have food today, Jenna, and your parents are addicts, but someone has it worse. And I genuinely, you know, I genuinely found a way to to find life in that and to find love in that or what I thought was love. My mother was able to paint a beautiful picture that really was wrapped in compassion and she didn't do that maliciously or as an evil person or as a consciously manipulative person. She did that as someone who couldn't see herself, who couldn't see her own patterns and habits and wounding couldn't even see that she had a self and a little girl inside of her that was also worthy, that was also neglected, that was also emotionally abandoned. So she painted this beautiful world around us and she taught us to give. She taught me how to spell compassion. She taught me what compassion was. And I really, until now, have spent a whole life sailing on being compassionate not ever realizing literally until Jake's death, until hearing those words of his that he wished we would learn to love ourselves that I thought, oh my gosh, this has all been so fake. I haven't loved myself. The last person in the world I've been compassionate with is myself. And how could I be when the little girl inside of me never witnessed an adult treating themselves with compassion, treating themselves with genuine love and respect and care and nourishment. So I think as many conversations that you and I have here, um, when we're talking about compassion, it's, it's not a light switch, right? We don't listen to a podcast like this or read this idea in a book, compassion, yes, check. I should go and be that in the world. It, it really is a journey um, a journey that begins with, as we often kind of go back to that first step, foundational step in, in change and creating choice, which is 
consciousness, becoming truly aware and conscious of ourselves, of how we're showing up, of all of the habits and patterns that, again, may or may not be serving us. And when we become conscious is, again, those people who wrote, the listeners who wrote those those comments, you know, indicate it. We then have an opportunity um, to begin to embody true compassion for ourselves, not to take the fork in the road that goes down that spiral of judgment to begin to make space um, for what we experience, for how we feel. And then over time, that space begins to extend outward to beginning to make those new choices, new choices which might impact our relationships and ultimately allow us to then extend this beautiful compassion to another person. So as always, we appreciate all of you listening, tuning in, everyone who's been commenting um, across all of the platforms, YouTube, Instagram. We are looking, we are listening. Um, as you've, I think, been seeing a lot of the comments that we're seeing really are inspiring these conversations as we continue forward. So we welcome them to keep coming. As always, any if you find any value in any of our episodes, we really appreciate you hitting the subscribe button, you leaving a review, you passing them on to loved ones that you think would also benefit. Um, we really are committed to and will continue to keep this podcast ad-free. So any and all ways that you can spread the word, we truly and greatly appreciate it. And as always, looking forward to continuing this conversation with you all during next episode.